it's a blessing to be here this morning and and uh, talk to you about the Lord. And uh, I'm sorry it's under the circumstances. Um, Matt and the family, I think we're going on vacation uh, this coming week, and instead he got sick. Um, but I'm sure the family <clears throat> won't let him off that easy. Uh, and uh, I'm sure he deserves a vacation instead of being sick. But appreciate Marcus' prayer for him and so as I get going here, um, let me just offer a little prayer for the message. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. And um, pray that your spirit will speak to us and feed us and lift us up into your presence. And um, thank you for this church. And thank you for uh, being able to be here and be a member of this church and what I've seen uh, of you in this church. And I just pray again that you will bless this time. I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, the message title... Um, I hope this doesn't run you off mentally, but uh, the message title is Tell Someone Who Cares. And uh, I know I'm going to be telling someone who cares in talking to all of you. But the question, another question is, who's the wealthiest person? Well, a great philosopher that you've probably all heard of and teacher, Socrates, was once asked that question and he answered, he who is content with the least for self-sufficiency is nature's wealth. You have to think about that one for a while, but uh, not very long, because uh, I think the word tells us a little better than his answer. In other words, he's saying the way to be content is come to a state of mind where you do not want anything and therefore you're self-sufficient. You don't need anyone or anything. This was the philosophy of the Stoics. But, as I've mentioned, is it the mindset of the believer? And we can look at Philippians 4, 10 through 23 for an answer. And so let me read that to you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. 
Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply su supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Great, or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, before I go on to the main part of our passage, um, let me explain that the last four verses here are Paul's closing greetings and one of the most significant greetings that Paul gives to the Philippians is in verse 22 where he states that all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Well, Christianity had begun to permeate the society around them to the extent that even the civil servants of Caesar's government were being reached. In verse 10, Paul again refers to the gift that the Philippians gave to him through Epaphroditus and how glad he was to see that demonstration of their concern and love for him. But he quickly goes on to explain in verses 11 and 12 that his joy is not primarily for the gift itself, for he has learned to be content no matter what his circumstances are. And the word that Paul uses for um, that contentment here is one of the great words of pagan ethics. It seems to be entirely self-sufficient, or it means to be entirely self-sufficient. And this was the highest aim of the Stoic. Is Paul's mindset the mindset of the Stoic, as you've listened to the word? A person who is content with the least, for self-sufficiency is nature's wealth. And uh, so the Stoic aimed at ridding himself of all emotion, of all feeling, and all desire. He wanted to come to a place where nothing could touch him or hurt him, and therefore he had to depend on no one, and he was totally self-sufficient if he could do that. He might train himself today by not caring if he broke something around the house. Next, by not caring if an appliance broke down, if the battery in the car gave out in 10 degree weather, or if a water pipe broke causing water damage to its carpet, and the ceiling to collapse. His ultimate goal would be a person who wouldn't care if a close loved one died. In fact, I don't know if such a person could have a loved one. So this person's familiar response might very well be, tell someone who cares. 
in his desire to be unflappable, he wouldn't have an interest in listening to your problems. Contentment to the Stoic meant not possess possessing much and wanting very little. His aim was to eliminate all desire. And the Stoic said, if you want to make a man happy, add not to his possessions. How does that kind of a life strike you? Well, obviously that is not the believer's mindset, but man's attempt to find peace and contentment through his own perverted thinking, a philosophy that appeals to the fallen nature of man to do it all on his own strength and by his own will. And that, of course, is contrary to what Paul says in verse 13 that I read, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Is that where we are? That's what we're aiming for. May not be where we're where we are, but that's the believer's mindset. He has abandoned his life to the Lord. As a result, he casts his cares onto the Lord through prayer, and as he practices that daily in his life, the Lord promises him the peace that the Stoic so desperately seeks in his inhumane, uncaring, non-loving philosophy. And uh, as I share with this with you, I, um, I have to share with you where I got the title for that message. And uh, the title again, Tell Someone Who Cares. It's a very hard place to be where Paul is content, regardless of his circumstances. Sometimes, as believers, we feel we have too many circumstances or too many concerns to deal with. And I was uh, going to give this message um, next week as uh, Matt and family were on vacation, but I got a phone call um, last night uh, from Matt that he was sick and he couldn't make it. And um, uh, again, um, sometimes we have circumstances, too many circumstances that we can't bear up under. And when you're sick, uh, that makes it even worse. And um, so I wanted to share with you a little bit of history about uh, this church and this building. And uh, it was many years ago, but uh, it's connected with that title, Tell Someone Who Cares. And um, I was under a lot of circumstances, and uh, I discovered a way of release from the pressures I was feeling when a teacher came up to me uh, with a problem, and as she shared, I simply said to her, why don't you tell someone who cares? Well, it doesn't sound very nice, does it? Um, <laughs> fortunately, she had an appreciation of dry humor and knew me well enough to know that that's not where I was really coming from. 
And uh, she knew I was not really telling her to buzz off, and I didn't care. Um, but that, in fact, I cared very much, and in fact, maybe too much. And at this, at this moment, it was just a way of putting my cares in proper perspective and giving them back to, to God. And the problem is that uh, I said that a few times, and one of the other staff members threatened to put that on my tombstone. <laughs> Tell someone who cares. Well, the opposite extreme of the stoic, um, before I go on, I'm not sure if that person isn't here today, <laughs> that I originally told that to because I knew that that person could handle it. Well, the opposite extreme of the Stoic is the person who's rich with this world's material possession and who receives his contentment from them. From them. Listen as I read from Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now you will own what you have prepared. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Well, have you ever been in that position? It feels like that would be a nice position to be in, except uh, uh, that the Lord might take your life that night if you thought that way. And uh, so as you consider the extremes of the rich man and the Stoic, we see that Paul has the best of both worlds. He knows how to live in contentment. If his circumstances provide him with great abundance, or if he's suffering need. So if the Lord provides him with great abundance, he knows how to enjoy it rather than reject it. And if he suffers from need, he knows God is in control and will show himself to be strong in meeting that need, which in turn will only cause his faith to increase. And the important thing there is to be grateful for what the Lord gives you. So as we think of Thanksgiving season coming along here in a couple of weeks, um, it's a great thing for us to, and I know you do this, you look back over the past year and you look back over your past life and that God has given you and you are grateful, thankful for what God has given you. And that's, this is just the beginning. Because Jesus said in John, that uh, the Gospel of John, that he was going to prepare a place for us. Think about that. He's going to prepare a place for us. A place, that's something physical. But it goes much deeper than that. It goes to Jesus being inside us. And um, 
we being in Jesus. So speaking of having an abundance, here's another true life experience. I know of a young boy who at one point, he, who was very proud, he was very happy uh, about his collection of toy six guns, cap guns. And one of the reasons his collection was one he was proud of was because his older brother had just given him his collection since his brother had reached an age when it was time to put away things not appropriate for that age. And that young boy was also feeling pretty proud and content because he had been blessed with a special Christmas that year. And the things he had collected were really quite small and insignificant. But to him, they were very important. And one day his cousin comes to visit him and noticed the collection of uh, cap guns. And he asked him if he could have one. Maybe one of the guns with a broken handle. But the young boy was not about to let go of one of his guns, so he said no. It was a short time after that incident and visit from his cousin that a fire broke out in, his, in the home one night. And the next day, the young boy discovered that his collection of toys had been melted down and burned up. But the lesson of the experience wasn't wasted. The request of his cousin immediately came to his mind, and he learned and was sorry for his selfishness, as well as learning how temporal possessions can be. And it was a good start for him in learning the message that we have in the passage this morning. He had at one moment enjoyed his abundance, and the next moment, he had to learn what it meant to suffer need. It was also an important step in learning the bigger lesson of learning to be content in either situation. And so to uh, tell you that story and illustration and to protect the guilty, I won't tell you who that young boy was. But it was painful to learn that lesson, and he never forgot it. And whether it's the rich farmer from Luke or the young boy, God gives us examples to learn that our focus should not be on our circumstances or on the things of the world. Many times he has to take us through learning experiences and uh, where we do lose all or we lose something dear to us in order for us to turn our attention to him. And in 1 Corinthians 7.32, Paul says, But I want you to be free from concern. And just before that verse, he says in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 7, And those who, you, <clears throat> excuse me, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. We can enjoy God's blessings. We don't reject them, turn them away. Uh, if God blesses us with physical, material things. Um, but we remember that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
how much greater will that place be than this world? So learning to be content in our modern culture is a hard lesson to accept and learn. And uh, complacency can be confused with contentment. And to say that we're content with what we have and thankful for it may be seen as a weakness, which brings about criticism for not having enough ambition. So we're challenged to always achieve more. And unfortunately, there's a price to pay when we accept that challenge. And the price is paid with weak relationships, whether it's in marriage or families or with God. And so this is where Paul leads us again and again, um, where Paul gives us an example. And throughout the book of Philippians, uh, we see that Paul is abandoned to the will of God. He's ready to lose his will into the will of God. And uh, abandonment is a great, great word for what we're talking about. And uh, it, it has the idea that we focus our attention on the present and that we accept what God brings our way. Abandonment has to do with losing our wills into the will of God, which is a practice that should take place on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. And uh, the next section of verses from what I read at the very beginning, verses 14 and 18 Um, Paul says, even though he's content with little or much, he goes on to praise and thank the Philippians for their wonderful gift to him through Epaphroditus. But the thing he's most happy about is not the gift itself, but the profit that is credited to the Philippians account for being so giving, as he states in uh, verse 17. And in verse 18, Paul refers to this gift as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And uh, that was a regular Old Testament phrase which could be defined that a sacrifice was performed, which was a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. So, yes, it was a special gift to Paul. But even more importantly, it was a sacrifice, a sacrifice which was well pleasing and a sweet aroma to God. And so I have one more illustration to share with you about that and a true historical uh, illustration. It happened many years ago here in this church and um, points out what we are learning here in Philippians. And it had to do with Thanksgiving, and it had to do with uh, Orletta and I arriving at my brother's um, for a great Thanksgiving dinner. And a brother was there that I hadn't seen for some time, and he was quite disappointed. Well, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit. Um, 
after I arrived at uh, my brother's home, it was no more than 10 minutes later that I that the phone rang and my sister-in-law called me to the phone saying it was the sheriff's department. And the lady on the other end said that the fire department was at the church, the water pipes had broken, and that they needed someone to come down immediately. We were just getting ready to sit down to that dinner and the brother was there and I hadn't seen, another brother was there and I hadn't seen him for some time and he was quite disappointed as I rushed out of the door explaining what happened. And as I drove down the road, all I could do was thank the Lord, not for the circumstances, but for the fact that he was in control. I didn't feel very thankful about the circumstances at all. And when I arrived here at the church, there were several fire trucks and a number of cars in the parking lot. And when I entered the door, the men had a couple of tarps on the floor and they were trying to catch the water front and coming down from the ceiling. They'd found their way into the building somehow, located the water shutoff valve, inspected the break in the pipe, poked a hole in the ceiling to let the water through and were trying to catch the water. And the carpet had already been drenched, of course, but they were trying to stop it from doing more damage. And when the church came out to the school quite a few years before that, someone had uh, a sink put in the nursery. And in doing so, they had to add a hot water line. And when that was done, the person who did it simply looped the water line over the existing ductwork rather than placing it along the rafters under the insulation. And whoever it was who did this, who wasn't the regular plumber that we used. And for some reason, uh, that situation lasted for about seven years before it froze. And as we looked at the scene, the only thing we could see is that there was a heat exhaust fan directly over the brake and that exhaust fan was running when it should not have been and normally it uh, automatically was shut off uh, with its own thermostat and it was uh, not shutting off when it was supposed to so we could only theorize that somehow that fan pulled the heat out of the space which allowed the pipes to freeze now um, that happened about three different times, a scene like that. In the time that I was here, and it also happened um, the last year that I was here. And, um, and it seemed to happen during the holidays. And uh, maybe when somebody came and didn't, turn the or therm, uh, didn't turn the heating on or uh, like in this case with the water freezing and it actually happened the last year I was here as I've mentioned but it also happened the first year that I was here and um, and then it happened in the middle of the time I was here so uh, what I was impressed with, at this moment, 
Thanksgiving Day. It was the attitude and the performance of the volunteer fire people and the fire department. They were extremely quick in responding, first of all, and the water had set off the fire alarm, which sends off a radio signal to the fire department. And when they arrived, they were very quick to help correct the problem, limit the damage. And uh, I was blessed by their good deeds and their attitude. It gave me a good appreciation of them, for sure. And their deeds were a sweet-smelling sacrifice to me, and of course I know to God. And after all, they had to have their Thanksgiving Day interrupted also. And they left me their tarps to use, and one of the men even loaned me a wet and dry vacuum to clean up the water. And while they were standing there surveying the damage, a section of the ceiling 4 by 8 collapsed onto the floor. And later, after I cleaned up the water and the soaked insulin, insulation another section about the same size collapsed just in time for me to clean up all over again but i had a great helper by that time who helped me make it more bearable and of course that was orletta and i called the plumber and set him up to come the next day and i also called bill smeltzer and asked him if he had anything to to do the next day so Bill was always available, and he was always a great one for me to be able to call, and I hope you remember him, Terry's dad. And um, he, again, had been <coughs> excuse me, a great help to me throughout the years doing special projects and needs around the place. And so the next day, not only Bill showed up, but Charlotte did as well. And as I was surveying all the work yet to be done, I evidently must have had quite a forlorn look on my face. And Charlotte noticed it, and she gave me some encouraging words and wanted to have a little prayer. And Bill and Charlotte were a tremendous blessing to me that day. I believe their work was another example of offering a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God that day but the work ahead of us was really too much for just a few of us and so an, another helper called around in the church for, for help and a lot of people did show up and uh, then the person who called them was a tremendous blessing and uh, they were another example of how good deeds can be a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. And I just appreciated the opportunity from the Lord to share those names, um, Bill and Charlotte. And uh, another person that was in the church at that time, Ted Brin and Jack Schisler, showed up, and they did their part. And as I've mentioned, I've been in many situations like that one, and many of the times there was not a lot of help available. And these men and Charlotte don't know and Orletta don't know how much their work and attitudes meant to me. And I can adequately express my appreciation uh, to them, them and for them and for the church. 
Um, and I think as I come back to this church and observed it now for over a year and a half, my first impression of it um, is that it has those same kind of people in it. And uh, I've had an opportunity to see Matt and Marcus and Fred lead the church and uh, I'm very blessed and I'm very blessed by the spirit I sense and feel. I've always felt like God has given me a level of discernment about people. And so I know I'm not wrong in the way I feel about the people in the, in the church body here. And I just, uh, uh, again, thank the Lord for where you are and where you're going. And uh, should say where we are and where we're going and um, ask that you uh, continue to pray for the leadership of this church in setting the stage for what I see here already. Um, so as we consider Paul, I don't know if I can be quite as spiritual as Paul was. No, I know I can't. <laughs> I, it's, that's a challenge. He seemed to be more joyous for the Philippians in the fact that their gift was credited to their account than for his actual joy for the gift itself. In my case, I'd say I was at least as happy for the gift of the help as I was for the fact that it was credited to their account. And as I mentioned, I had something like this happen um, The last year that I was here, when there was a huge snowstorm, and uh, then it piled up on the gym roof, and when it began to thaw out, uh, it created a huge mess in the gym. And uh, with the help of, uh, oh, John Jackson and, and Artie Krumsick, um they made that gym look better than it than it ever did. After that was uh, that damage was done, and uh, again it just was another example to me of um, uh, of what we're talking about this morning. And so this brings me to the closing of the message, and uh, I asked the question: When are we most like him? And maybe that's a better title, really, for the message. And the answer is when we serve someone else, as we follow the example of Christ. And when we do that, um, we bring glory to God. Can you imagine bringing glory to God? That's an that's the opportunity held out to us. So uh, 
listen to uh, one scholar here as I close about giving of oneself as these Philippians have done and as as uh, the people I've mentioned from the body had done. And it says, no, quote, no gift ever made any man the poor. The wealth of God is, is open to those who love God and who love their fellow men. The giver of a gift does not make himself poor. He makes himself richer. For his own gift opens to him the gifts and the riches of God. So, uh, John Jackson and Alan Jackson, Artie Grumsick, and um, just a few names, um, Marcus, Fred, Lori, and Karen, and Erica, Scott, and... Uh, Matt and Christine, the names can go on and on, you know. And um, I would just encourage you to give them a thank you card. Leatris has a card making class every once every uh, month on a Friday. And uh, those are works of art. And... Um, but whether you have that or you just uh, um, send a card to someone that you've, uh, you have been blessed by um, would be a great thing to do at one time in the church. And I'm not saying the church needs to do this now. But there were affirmation cards that you have found in the back of the pews. And um, you could fill out those affirmation cards and give it to the secretary and the secretary would uh, um, send that on to the people. And it was a great practice, but you you can do that yourselves without bothering Erica <laughs> and giving her one more job. But um, anyway, being a sweet smelling sacrifice um, and when are we most like him serving someone else? And then just to close in one or two verses uh, from First Peter 5, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And with that, I'll close and uh, ask John if you'll come up and dismiss us with a song.